Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is James chapter 1, verse 19. I am your host, Sandra Flack, coming to you from my hotel room in Denver, Colorado. I am here for a few days to support my daughter and son-in-law as my baby grandson, Killian, is in the children's hospital here uh, for his second open heart surgery. Prayers are appreciated. As difficult as this situation is, I'm grateful for the opportunity to further my bond with my daughter. If you've read my book, Missy is our first adopted daughter, and she really struggled, especially through her teen and young adult years. And since my husband and I were not trauma or FASD informed at the time, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I want to encourage you, my friend, it's, it is never too late to start connecting with your kids. All of those trauma-informed principles about connection really do work no matter how old our kids are. This is my third trip to Denver in four months, but it has been so worth it. My relationship with my daughter has never been better because I've chosen unconditional love, support, encouragement, and connection. Um, And I'm applying everything that I've been learning, not only about you know, the the trauma stuff through TBRI and uh, that wonderful book, The Connected Child, but also because being able to uh, view things through um, a brain-based lens, um, taking things like uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders into consideration when interacting with our kids, no matter how old they are, these things really, really do help. So I want to encourage you to stay the course Um, I know we get weary, I get weary, um, but there is hope for this journey. Uh, There really is. You know, I I booked my flight when we thought Killian's surgery would be this week, um, but now uh, it's it's been moved, kind of put off until next week. Um, And the first week of November is when they're looking at, and I'm recording this um, episode on a Friday, the 28th. Um, I have to leave to return home on the 30th. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredibly difficult on so many levels as, as you can relate, it's, you know, difficult to, to, to see my baby grandson sick and, and, uh, you know, watch my daughter and son-in-law just really, um, I mean, they're stepping up to the plate and they're doing an amazing job, but it's so hard. Um, and then I've got kiddos back home. Uh, who really need me. And, you know, if you're a parent of kids, especially those with trauma and histories, you know, trauma histories and FASD, um, you know how hard it is to be away from home, right? It's not, it's not easy to be gone. So um, it's really difficult, but God has been faithful, I must say. And I know many, many, many of you are praying for my grandson. 
um, and my my daughter and son-in-law and our family. And I'm so grateful for that. You can uh, kind of follow what's going along, going on, follow along on social media. Um, I know I share many posts and my daughter has a Facebook page. Um, I, I believe it's entitled Killian Cardiac Warrior. Um, you can you can follow me and find all of those things if you want to kind of, you know, sort of in real time, know what's going on um, and, and be praying. So you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram there. Um because we're, we're on this journey. Um, also switching gears to what we're doing here. Um, I do want to tell you about our free 45 minute lunch and learn. Um, it's an introduction to FASD. So if you've been listening and you're like, "Mm, I don't know, I think I need to learn a little bit more about this FASD stuff. Um, I don't know if my child has been you know, was prenatally exposed. I don't know if the stuff that we're dealing with is symptoms of FASD or not, um, or maybe you got a diagnosis for your kiddo, but really no resources. Um, I have a 45 minute lunch and learn where we're going to do a Zoom call um, and I have a presentation and then we'll end with some Q&A. Um, and it's just a great way to be introduced to Um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So we're going to be doing the lunch and learn on Wednesday, November 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You do have to register for it. It's free, but you have to register and you can go to justicefororphansny.org backslash events in order to register for that. Also, be sure to check out our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown, Um, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and so much more. This series of episodes with him, we're really focusing on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents. Um, You know, we're talking about prenatal trauma, complex trauma, FASD, the negative effects of screen time, um, executive dysfunction, inappropriate sexual behavior, um, especially when where teens come into play there, working memory, cognitive flexibility, like all of these things we're taking a deep dive into. Uh, regular episodes of this Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast drop into your inbox on Mondays. These special bonus episodes drop on Fridays. You're not going to want to miss any of them. We're doing 20 episodes in all for this series, um, and they've been some of our most popular episodes. So I know you'll get a lot out of them and make sure you don't miss a single episode by subscribing to this podcast. Um, We want every adoptive foster and kinship caregiver to have access to this podcast because it's an excellent resource for the journey. Um, And when you subscribe, and especially when you subscribe and leave a review, it helps the show be found um, much more easily when folks are searching for podcasts about adoption or foster care. So make sure you do that. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, um, today I'm going to once again break down the primary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And, you know, why do I talk about this so much? It's because I know firsthand how vital it is for every foster and adoptive and kinship caregiver to know, but really Everybody needs to know because one in 20 U.S. children are prenatally exposed to alcohol 
not on purpose. I don't believe any mom would harm her baby on purpose, but because there is a lack of cohesive education out there about the dangers of drinking alcohol, even socially or even just occasionally anytime during the pregnancy, science reveals that there is no known safe amount of alcohol, time in a pregnancy, or type of alcohol that can be consumed during pregnancy. You know, and I've also heard that 50% of all pregnancies in the United States are unplanned, um, or also a lot of times moms, expectant moms don't know they are expecting until eight or so weeks into a pregnancy. And if they were drinking even just socially, occasionally during those eight weeks, that can impact the baby. And of course, there is a disproportionate number of children in the child welfare system affected by FASD, though most of the time it's undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Many foster and adoptive parents I speak with initially, they don't really know. They don't think their child has an FASD. But then when they begin to share some of the behavioral challenges that they're facing at home, I realize that those challenges are often primary symptoms of an FASD. Now, of course, I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose anyone, but I am a mom of two kids diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. They have trauma. Um, I have two kids adopted that I suspect are somewhat affected by prenatal alcohol exposure. And I am passionate about educating parents and caregivers so that you can understand um, what may be going on um, how you can better support your kid, um, how you can pursue diagnosis if you think your child might be impacted by prenatal exposure to alcohol. And my boys were diagnosed 10 years ago. They have all of the symptoms, including the facial features. They were diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. They have the whole full-blown thing. But when we were given the diagnosis, we were not given any resources or guidance. I didn't know, you know, back in 10 years ago, I don't even know if podcasts were even invented back then, right? So there were no podcasts to listen to. There were no um, books that I knew of to read. They were, none were recommended. Um, there were some scary websites that I did find. Um, you know, there, there just wasn't, I didn't, nobody said, there, here's a support group, here's a podcast, here's a book, here's, you know, there was nothing. Um, and then when my kids became teenagers and everything began to fall apart, um, I began to realize I've got to look closer at this because I think I'm missing a big piece of what's really going on. And, you know, my family is not unique. Unfortunately, I hear from parents all the time who's, you know, their, their kids, their families are in crisis. Kids may or may not be diagnosed, um, but they're desperate for help and support. And that is what we are offering at JFO. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. 
To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Also, stay tuned to the end of the show to learn about even more FASD resources. And, you know, maybe you're positive your kid doesn't have an FASD and that's fine. But every one of these episodes, if you're an adoptive foster or kinship caregiver, you are going to find some um, help and support, um, some information, um, some strategies that will help you on your parenting journey. Now, um, let's look at the primary characteristics of a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, Before I do start with that, though, I always recommend the book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, written by Diane Melvin. Uh, This little book was the catalyst for facets. Um, I am now a facets Uh, a facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model. You can learn more about FACETS at facets.org. And the FACETS training has been transformative for our family. And now that I'm a facilitator, I'm offering this in-depth FASD training um, to anyone who's interested in it. If you would like to take a deep dive into FASD, um, check out Our workshops, our facets trainings on our website. Again, just go to justicefororphansny.org and you will find all of that information there. Now to the primary characteristics, I'm going to list them again and then zero in on the one we're going to focus in on today. Last week, we talked about dismaturity. Um, This week, we're going to talk about slower processing pace, but also some of the other characteristics are impulsivity, memory problems, difficulty with abstract, think about time and money management, uh, difficulty predicting outcomes, um, sensory processing challenges, difficulty generalizing, difficulty relating cause and effect, uh, difficulty with uh, planning and organizing, and all kinds of problems with executive function. Uh, In this series, I'm going to break down each of the primary symptoms one episode at a time. I'll explain it. I'll give some, you know, real life examples from my family and what it, how it looks in daily life, and then offer some suggestions for accommodations and support um, to help our kids successfully navigate these particular symptoms. So like I said, today, we're going to discuss slow processing pace. I'm going to just go in the order of the list I gave above. Um, Now, for a deep dive into information processing, Dr. Brown and I uh, just did an episode, a bonus episode on this topic. So if you would like more information on information processing, you can check out that bonus episode. But basically, information processing is the brain's ability to process information. We take in information visually by what we see and verbally by, you know, or I should say verbally, we take it in um, auditorily by what we hear said to us. um, And then um, our brain has to process that information, make sense out of it so that we can then respond to it. Childhood trauma and prenatal exposure to alcohol impacts the brain's ability to make sense of that information that it's taking in. And for us parents, that means our kids, they might be hearing us, 
They might even be able to repeat back to us what we are saying to them, but that does not mean that they understand it and know what to do with it. So there becomes a breakdown in the way the brain takes in the information, understands it, and then uses it for a response. (sighs) Trauma and prenatal alcohol exposure cause our kids' brains to process information much more slowly than a neurotypical brain. And that means too much information is lost on them. They can sometimes miss, I've heard it said, miss every third word. So if you were to take a paragraph out of a book, for example, and you were to just block out every third word and then read that paragraph out loud, would it make any sense to you or to the person who may be hearing you read it? Probably not. But that's oftentimes what our kids are taking in as information, only you know part of what we're saying. Too much information also affects um, the ability to multitask. And we live in a world where everybody's wanting to multitask, right? It also makes following multi-step instructions almost impossible for our kids. It makes note-taking and test-taking difficult. Slow processing affects the ability to keep up in conversations. And it's overall just overwhelming. And if parents, caregivers, school teachers, and other people in our children's lives do not take slow processing pace into consideration, it can really frustrate our kids and lead them to be irritable, stressed out, angry, or even have fits of rage, all of which are secondary characteristics of an FASD. When we keep trying to force a round peg, our kid, into a square hole, of expectations that they cannot possibly meet, then it leads to those secondary and tertiary symptoms and characteristics of an FASD. And we want to prevent that as much as possible. And we as parents and caregivers must be trauma and FASD informed so we can better accommodate and advocate for our kids' success. Now, today I have four points I'd like to break down Uh, regarding slow information processing. And I'll use some examples, of course, from my parenting journey. So my four points are going to be quit the lecture and punishment, use simple scripts, give one-step directions, accommodate for success. So we'll start with lecturing and punishment. I know firsthand that this parenting strategy does not work. I used it for years with all of my kids. It works slightly with my bio kids, but it never worked with my adopted kids. If a child has slow processing pace, lectures are a huge waste of time. Because if our kids only hear every other word, or if they miss every third word of what we're saying, then they are not hearing most of the lecture and what they do catch won't make any sense. And then they're confused by all the loud words, because I don't know about you, but when I tend to lecture, I tend to get loud and passionate. So I'm shooting all these words off. um, And then, you know, I back it up with some form of punishment, right? We got to teach them a lesson. Here's what you did wrong, wham, the lecture. And now I'm going to punish you for it. So they end up getting grounded or we remove privileges or, you know, something that we have to do. Um, And then that leaves our kids 
even more frustrated and confused because they don't even understand the whole picture because they only caught every other word of your lecture. So it just exacerbates the whole situation. So now I know better so I can do better. No more lectures. I'm not saying I never talk to my kids about the stuff that's going on or about their behavior or whatever, but I don't give a wordy, long lecture. Now I take into consideration my kid's brain and his ability to perform an expected task, like understanding the information that I want them to understand. I adjust my expectations and my strategy. I keep important information super simple. I check for understanding and then I repeat simple scripts. And then I, I daily reinforce that important information. Um, you know, and I, and I think I've talked about this in here before when I was, you know, been having these conversations with my 17 year old about what's appropriate behavior, appropriate boundaries, you know, and I was like, you know, really teetering on almost becoming a lecture. And then at one point I stopped because he was saying, yep, yep, I know, I know, yep, yep, I know. And then I would, I stopped and I said, okay, so do you know what appropriate means? And he said, no. So he was hearing me. He could even repeat what I was saying, but he didn't understand what I was saying. So we have to stop and and keep it super simple, check for understanding. And, you know, if you have a child, you know, I have a 17 year old and I always like last week, we talked about dismaturity. Um, I always kind of frame things through the lens of my kid's not really 17 years old. He's more like seven in a lot of ways. So when I'm going to have an important conversation or any conversation, really, I'm not saying I dumb it down because I want him to be able to grow in his knowledge and understanding and his vocabulary, but I keep it simple and I'm not going to use big words. I'm going to make sure he understands the words that I am using and that he knows the definitions of them. And I'm going to limit the number of words I'm using to convey what I'm trying to to, to teach, right? Um, Check for understanding. And I repeat it constantly because also part of this disability is memory problems. So just because he can repeat a rule to me today and seems to understand the rule today does not mean that he will remember it tomorrow. So you, so I, you have to, there's a lot of repetition, keep it. Um, you know, simple with less words, avoid the lecture. It will get you nowhere and only cause more problems. And that brings me to that next point of use simple scripts. Because my kid has a slower processing pace, I know I need to keep directions, rules, and all important information simple. And, you know, it's like shampoo, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. Very simple steps but I have to repeat the simple scripts daily because of his memory challenges, which is also a part of um, how trauma and prenatal exposure affects the brain. I've mentioned on other episodes that one of our simple scripts that we use every day, all day long is good words, good boundaries. Now you can stumble into the opposite of that. No bad words, right? no bad words, or we don't say that, or no bad words, or no swearing, or no whatever. But that really doesn't teach him anything, and it doesn't reinforce anything. Always frame it in positive uh, words, good words, 
good boundaries. And sometimes if I hear him say a word, that's what I would consider not a good word. I can say, was that a good word? And he'll usually be able to say, "Mm, no. And I'll say, can you say it again with a good word? And he can actually repeat what he said with better words or leaving out the bad words, so to speak. Um, so, so the simple scripts come in handy in a lot of different ways in teaching and in reinforcing what we're trying to do. Um, but the, that my, my little phrase here, good words and good boundaries, this is very important information for a teenager who has trauma and an FASD. Because I have to first make sure he understands what good words and good boundaries mean. Again, we have that conversation daily. We use lots of examples. We reinforce it all throughout the day in different conversations. Um, you know, and I always use that script, you know, in our conversations before he goes anywhere, when he's going to go off to school or his little shredding job or youth group, good words, good boundaries, just to kind of keep it in his memory before, before company comes over, um, whatever he's doing something like right now I'm in Denver. He's in New York with my husband. I'll text with him periodically throughout the day. And I will always make sure I text good words, good boundaries. Um, And then I let other people in his circle know his school teacher, the youth group leader, other family members, the secretary at the office where he does his shredding job. So everybody can be reinforcing the script with him. Um, Now, This is not a magic phrase that prevents problems, okay? It's not going to suddenly, you know, any of the stuff that I'm sharing, it's not a magic one size fits all. It's all going to, everything's going to be better and it's going to work, right? These are accommodations and supports that we're putting into place that have to be um, really repeated and practiced over and over again. Um, It's not, it's not a one size fits all magic solution, Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll share a story recently. We had a big problem. Even with all of this simple script practicing, my 17-year-old, um, we recently let him go on a youth group outing to a corn maze. Sounds like something every wonderful teen, you know, teenager, something wonderful every teenager would, would want to do, right? Um, honestly, he didn't really want to go, um, but we encouraged him to go. It was in the daytime. It wasn't at night. Um, and, you know, really... Um, He would be gone for like three or four hours. And my husband and I were kind of excited to use that time to go out on a dinner date because we never go anywhere without him. So we thought this is great. He's been doing great on Wednesday night youth group meetings. No problems at all. Let's let him go off to this corn maze thing. Okay. So we did. And he got in trouble for using inappropriate words. So not good words around some of the girls somewhere near the end of the corn maze. Now, of course, I was mortified when the youth leader had to brief me on the situation. Um, Of course, on the way home in the car, I reverted to the typical, why did you say that? Only to get the, I don't know, answer at first. Um, But he actually did back that up with, I forgot the boundaries, which was very eye-opening because now Looking back on the situation through a fetal alcohol neurobehavioral lens, a corn maze is very unstructured and stressful to someone with a brain injury because there are kids running around and yelling. Um, Nobody really knows how to get out of the corn maze, right? Corn mazes are designed to be confusing and even scary. Uh, It turned out to be muddy and 
Um, you know, my son got his shoes muddy. He even slipped and fell in the mud, all of which stressed him out from a, uh, a sensory processing perspective as well. The whole environment caused him to be dysregulated and unable to remember and follow the simple script. You know, impulse control flew out the window. We don't have that on a good day, let alone a day when all of this craziness is going on in a corn maze. So now I realize that sending him off to the corn maze was really not a good idea unless me or his dad had accompanied him. Um, Then we would have been able to help kind of keep him regulated. We would have been able to predict where this was going to get challenging for him um, and would have been able to help him be more successful. Overall, we have to take the whole brain and body into consideration. That's why it's so important for, uh, for us adoptive and foster and kinship caregivers to be trauma and FASD informed and equipped. Simple scripts are helpful, um, but this example with the corn maze isn't just about simple scripts and slow processing pace. It kind of ties the whole thing, right, from, from dysregulation dismaturity, lack of impulse control, overstimulation, the whole the sensory processing stuff, all of that came into play and kind of set him up for this failure. Um, now, I do want to mention that we are in a new church right now, and this is a new youth group, and the church could have handled it many different ways, right? Like you're out of here, you know, whatever, but I'm happy to report that they used a gospel-centered approach. Um, They extended much forgiveness and much love to both my son and my husband and I. So, you know, we're still dealing with this situation at home because my son carries so much shame. Whenever he does anything wrong, he really wears it heavy. He he like wants to punish himself. Um, and, And he feels horrible about what he said and He's apologized. He went up himself without even being told. I mean, he apologized right away to the youth group leaders when they addressed it with him. But then that Sunday morning when we went to church, um, you know, he apologized to the pastor. He apologized again to the youth leader. Like he's really wanting to to to, to do better, um, but so many things are against him. And um, you know, but we continue to practice the script: good words, good boundaries. I pray a lot that he will be able to make wise choices in these things. Um, And I'm kind of considering having good words and good boundaries tattooed on his hand, you know, but just kidding. Well, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) But now let's switch over and talk about the one-step directions. Consider using this approach in everything from chores to schoolwork to any activity your child is involved in. I often use the example of cleaning their room, something every one of us parents expects our kids to be able to do at some point, right? It's always a source of contention, it seems. Um, But a person needs to first understand what is meant by a clean room. Clean to mom or dad means something vastly different to a teenager, especially one with an FASD. Clarifying with a picture or a series of pictures. You know, you can clean the room together and use your phone to take a picture of, this is what a clean floor looks like. This is what a a, a clean bed looks like. This is what a clean shelf looks like. This is what a clean closet looks like. 
um, you know, take a picture of each one of those completed steps, number the steps, print them off, and then display them on a poster in their bedroom. It gives a visual of what is expected, right? What it's supposed to look like. And maybe it's a day where you want them to just do one of those steps. You can say, just do this step. And this is what it needs to look like when you're done. Um, that's a great strategy. Also, give one step directions. I often ask my boys, just bring me your dirty clothes to the laundry room. That's it. One step, bring me the clothes. That's the only thing I ask. Now I'll stand in the hallway and at our house, there's a hallway and there's their, each one has their bedroom door and then the door to the laundry room. So I'll stand in the hallway. So when I give the instruction, it's like, okay, I'm standing here waiting for you to bring it. So I'll stand there and I'll say, bring me your dirty clothes. And they're able to usually throw them all in the hamper at that point in their room. Cause of course, nobody throws it in the hamper. Um, it's always all around the hamper, right? But when a mom wants you to bring it, they do tend to then finally get it in the hamper and bring me the hamper. Once that task is done, I will hand them a garbage bag and say, put all your garbage in it, collect the garbage. Now, one of my boys actually needs one-on-one -on -one support for most tasks. So we accommodate by providing that support, um, even for his chores. Uh, in the early days, I would walk into my boys' rooms or my kids, you know, any, probably all of my kids, right? I have eight, eight kids. All of them are adults except for the youngest two. I would walk into the room and declare, it's time to clean this room. And I would shout out, you know, like, pick up these clothes, put this away, bring out those dirty dishes, take out this garbage, organize this shelf, you know, pick up your closet, uh, under your bed, check under your bed, you know, and my boys with FASD become very overwhelmed and they would respond by either yelling or they would yell at me, stop yelling at me, um, they, or they would shut down. And, and no matter what, really like nothing got done. The room really didn't get clean. We'd all end up frustrated. But now with simple steps, just like simple scripts, we're all much more successful. And I'm telling you, if you have a child with a brain-based disability, such as an FASD, they're going to need a whole lot more support no matter what their age is. Again, slash their chronological age, their physical age in half, and then set your accommodations um, accordingly, because that's more at the level of what they're going to be able to successfully complete. And keep in mind, slow information processing so that you're not shouting out a bunch of orders. You know, you can provide the list on the wall so that they have a visual uh, of steps to complete. You give them extra time. Don't use a bunch of words. Use those simple scripts and simple steps. One task, one step at a time. And finally, always accommodate for success. The strategies I just gave for cleaning the room um, is an example of providing accommodations for success. If your child has an IEP for school, that plan should include accommodations for slower processing pace as well. My boys both have IEPs that state they need classroom notes provided to them because they cannot hear information, process the teacher's instructions, and write it all down. They also both have accommodations for test taking that include having test questions read to them and check for clarity to make sure they understand what the question is asking. 
Now, keep in mind that even after our kids graduate from school, whatever was needed for success in the classroom with the IEP will be needed on the job and in the community later on. My 19-year-old son who did graduate, um, he's now a volunteer firefighter, and he's currently taking a beginner firefighters course. Much of the course is hands-on, which is completely his learning style, but there are classroom notes and regular tests. And I was able to assist him in getting accommodations for him based on his IEP. Now, he wasn't able to really advocate so much for himself to get that. He really relied on me to fill out the forms and submit this stuff. Um, but he knew he needed the extra help because he came to me and said, I, I don't, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pass this class. There's notes and there's tests and there's all this stuff. Um, so based on what I was able to, you know, I was able to actually supply a copy of his IEP and he was granted extra time, classroom notes provided and testing accommodations. And, you know, if it weren't for these accommodations, my son, he probably would not be able to successfully complete this class. Um, this is a class he's taking with a bunch of, uh, which a bunch of adults, right? Think of who would be a volunteer firefighter. If your child has an FASD, accommodations will be necessary for success throughout their lifetime because nobody outgrows an FASD. Um, they can learn things and they can adapt, right? But it is a lifelong disability that affects the brains and bodies of those prenatally exposed to alcohol. We need to support them by providing accommodations, by advocating for them, um, and, and supporting them all the way around so that they can be successful in life because they can be successful. They have wonderful strengths. My son loves being part of the volunteer fire company. He goes on every call. He volunteers for everything that they're doing. He's found a community and that makes him feel good about himself. Um, and he really wants to be able to take this test and pass it and have like more skills and things that he'll be able to do but he's not gonna be able to just go in and take the test like all of the other volunteer firefighters because he needs accommodations because he has a brain-based disability. So this is so important. Um, as we wrap up, we all want our kids to be successful and the more support and the more accommodations we can provide now, the more successful they will be in the future and we can possibly avoid the secondary and tertiary characteristics that can arise when an individual has an FASD who, and they were not supported and accommodated along the way. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope you feel encouraged and better equipped for your parenting journey today. Be sure to check out our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community, like was mentioned earlier in this episode. And also don't forget about our intro to FASD Lunch and Learn that is now on the calendar and all of the other resources that we provide for adoptive foster and kinship caregivers, all available on our website at justicefororphansny.org. You can check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It won a Golden Scroll Award for Memoir of the Year. Grab a copy wherever you buy your books 
If you order on Amazon, I would love it if you go back in and leave me a review. And if you'd like a signed copy of my book, which includes a special free gift bookmark, you can order from my website, sandraflack.com. Um, there at my website, you'll also be able to read my blog and contact me for speaking opportunities. Um, if you want to bring me to your area, uh, whether virtually or in person for um, just uh, a retreat, uh, your parenting group, if you want a training on FASD, whatever you're looking for, you can reach out to me. And I would love to come and, and be a encouragement um, and a support for your for you and your fellow parents on this journey. Uh, also a big shout out to our business sponsors, Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families and help us do what we do. Again, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Find and follow Justice for Orphans and myself, Sandra Flack, on Facebook and Instagram. And again, I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.